the feedback mechanism gets completely distorted by the presence of a money printer and because of the presence of all of these people that are close to the money printer and they they want to um i don't know push out their agenda and they can because in a sense they're suspending reality right. their own reality and they they create this magical you know weird thing and that's what socialism really was yes yeah. okay this different <laughs> weird reality that we're going to pretend is real and we're going to suspend reality for as long as we can uh when you suspend reality you know uh right. reality generally strikes back with a vengeance yes 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 Hey everybody, welcome to the What Is Money Show. I am thrilled to have you here joining me on my mission to help shine light on the corruption of money. Now, if this is your first time listening to the What Is Money Show, I strongly recommend that you go back to episodes one through nine first, which lays a lot of the groundwork for many of the concepts that we explore on the show. These first nine episodes are my series with Michael Saylor and thousands of people have told me that this is the best podcast series they've ever heard hands down, and that it was instrumental to their understanding of money and Bitcoin. So if you're looking to start a deep dive into the nature of money, I don't think there's any place better that you can start other than episode one of this show. Now, a little bit about this show and how it makes money. The What Is Money show is 100% sponsor based. So all of our revenues are derived from direct sponsorships. And I strive to be very selective about the sponsors that I work with, specifically only using sponsors that I use personally, and also choosing sponsors that have values which are well aligned to the values expressed on this show, such as freedom, education, self-sovereignty, etc. So what I'm gonna do now is a few ad reads right at the top of the show, and then I'll do a few more ad reads in the middle. And I hope you'll take the time to listen to them, as again, these are hand-selected sponsors, and I think you'll like what they have to offer. Today's podcast is brought to you by In Wolf's Clothing. Wolf is the first startup accelerator dedicated exclusively to the Bitcoin Lightning Network. Four times per year, Wolf brings teams from around the world to New York City to work with like-minded entrepreneurs, pushing the boundaries of what's possible with Bitcoin and Lightning. The program is designed to help early-stage companies achieve product market fit, develop their brand, secure early-stage funding, and grow businesses that help fuel the global adoption of Bitcoin. So go to wolfnyc.com to learn more about the program or apply. Again, that's WolfNYC, W-O-L-F-N-Y-C dot com. Jimmy Song, welcome back to the What Is Money Show. Well, thanks for having me, Robert. It's uh, always a pleasure to see you. And uh, we're now in Switzerland. What the yeah, heck? Yeah, right. Yeah, so how we're in. Do we, how, do, how do we have this life? Uh, we have a great life. We do. <laughs> Uh, we're in Lugano, Switzerland. My first time to Switzerland. Mm. Uh, we're here for the Plan B Forum. Mm. You attended this last year? I did with my entire family. It was, nice. uh, it was a lot of fun. And I, I mean, the, the venue is beautiful and uh, I, it's raining today. But yeah. I, honestly, it's it's one of the most beautiful places in the world, I gotta say. Yeah, it's there's a beautiful lake. Uh, is this which lake is this? I don't remember. It's uh, lake Como, is it? Yeah, Lake Como. What is Lake Como? Yeah. Yeah, the town's right on the lake. It's gorgeous. It is raining, so we can't see the full view, but um, <laughs> definitely a very cool city. Mm. Uh, just by way of quick introduction, you've been on the show before. We're just saying you and I did a series together mm. 
on Hoppe's book, Democracy, the God that Failed, uh, which I think was really interesting for a lot of people. And then you are basically a longtime Bitcoiner, author of several books. You and I co-authored with six other people, Thank God for Bitcoin. And most recently you have written, you've solo authored this book, Fiat Ruins Everything. Yes. Very strong title. <laughs> um, maybe just a little bit about the writing process, the inspiration, what this book is about, what's the purpose of the book, mm-hmm. and then we can jump into some of the specific chapters that you wrote. Yeah, so the inspiration for the book actually came after taking David Perel's course. So he wrote the foreword for my book. He teaches a class, Rite of Passage, and... You know, I've been friends with him for a while. I was finally like, okay, I'm going to take your class. Mm-hmm. And I took his class. I was very inspired. I wrote a lot every day. A typical student is supposed to publish four articles from that like five or six week class. I decided to publish one every day. So I, <laughs> I wrote wow. something like 30 something articles. I was like, I'm going to get as much out of this course as I can. Uh, and you afterwards- publish, I, You publish all those? Well, I didn't publish them online, yeah. but I, I have them and they're- more or less in publishable form. I've posted them in various places and so on. Uh, like there, there was one on Arnold Schwarzenegger, for mm. example, that mm. I wrote that uh, that's on my website, programmingbitcoin.com. Uh, uh, but I, I wrote a bunch of those, and afterwards, I uh, I I realized I couldn't I can I now feel empowered to go write a lot. Mm. And I approached Bitcoin Magazine, and I was like, Hey, um, I could do a column for you every week. Okay, let's let's do it started writing um, a lot of articles about it. And I, and I noticed a little bit of a pattern there, which was, uh, you know, my, my podcast is called Bitcoin Fixes This. And, but what I realized is it's actually fiat that's corrupt, not Bitcoin that's so purifying. Mm. Uh, a lot of, um, you know, Bitcoin is really awesome and it does fix a lot of things, but a lot of things are broken because of fiat. Mm-hmm. It's, it's not specifically... Bitcoin that's fixing it, it's sound money that's fixing it. It's right. it's the lack of um, you know, this corrupting influence. So started writing a lot about that in the in uh the Bitcoin magazine articles, and I realized, okay, like I can finally make this into a book. Uh so collected some of those articles, some other articles that I had written. I so wrote some new articles and um and that's that's where we have the book, Fiat Ruins Everything. It's about the corruption of this cancerous, debasing, awful thing called fiat money that, that's been in society. And yeah, that's the case I make. It's great. Yeah, it's um, almost like the inverse of the mantra in Bitcoin, fix the money, fix the world. Mm-hmm. You're looking at broken money breaking the world, right? Yeah. And all yeah. the various manifestations and how it does that. Mm-hmm. Um, one the, So one of the first places you go mm-hmm. in this book is how the debasement of money leads to the debasement of morality. Mm. Obviously, this is something we went into in the book we co-authored mm-hmm. together. Mm-hmm. This is something I've tried to write about um, in some of my essays, mm-hmm. largely inspired by the books we read mm-hmm. preparing for, thank God for Bitcoin, like mm-hmm. Honest Money, mm-hmm. Ethics of Money Production, et cetera. This is a tricky one, though. I think, <laughs> you know, if you just grab someone on the street and you say, you know what, when we print money or debase money, we're actually debasing our mor- morality. Mm-hmm. It's almost like a tenuous connection, mm-hmm. I think, in the eyes of most people. Mm-hmm. So how do you 
how do you unpack that? How do you explain that connection to people in a way that's relatable? Mm. Well, so let, let's start with some of the very basic things that are happening in the world today, right? Um, you see a lot of politicians getting caught up in lies. You see, you know, just really weird stuff like Jeffrey Epstein and, mm -hmm. and you know, the corruption around that. Um, you know, you're, you're hearing things about the CIA and the FBI just doing just some absolutely crazy stuff. And maybe five, 10 years ago, you would have said, oh, that's all just a conspiracy theory. Nowadays, it's just kind of like, okay, that, that actually might be true. There, there's some evidence for, for this stuff. So I, I would start with, okay, there, there's something wrong with the world. And there, there's some intuitive sense that some, something is really off kilter. Um, start there and go, okay, what, what's the cause of all of that? How, why are people acting this way? Or how are they able to act this way and get away with it? Um, and it turns out that a lot of it is, uh, the corruption of fiat money. Now, like the actual, how it debases morality uh, ultimately comes down to, well, if you pay people to not be moral, then, mm. you know, the, the corruption of money essentially leads to that. And mm. in a sense that that's happened all over the world to, to a degree where it's part of our moral milieu right mm -hmm. now, right? Like where right. people almost think it's normal to charge high interest rates and things like that. We, we talked about this a little bit in the book, mm -hmm. uh, Thank God for Bitcoin, with, with respect to usury. Uh, you know, essentially usury is charging so much interest that you've, uh, you're holding somebody in slavery. Mm -hmm. uh, but, you know, that, that level of interest rate, like that's not something that's ever talked about in any church or any, mm -hmm. um, any real Christian publication or anything or anything moral. And it's, it's not a connection that we tend to make, but you read, you know, ancient writings, you know, the books that we read mm -hmm. and. Um, you know, if you go through uh, Rothbard's um, The he History of Economics, uh, Economic Thinking, something like mm -hmm. that, I, I can't remember the title exactly. It, it goes through, this, this was a major thing mm -hmm. for pretty much every church father and every, everyone that examined money or ethics or things like that. It's now just pe become normal mm -hmm. to charge whatever interest rate and it's whatever the market bears or whatever. Without thinking about the enslavement part of it, which honestly is a is a big part of the fiat system, where we're we're not even aware of it. Um, so I think um, you know one of the lines from the book that uh, a lot of people quote back to me <laughs> whenever I mention, okay, yeah, uh, you know, thanks for the book or whatever, and mm -hmm. it's like uh, you know the the line that really got to me is that uh, you know when you steal time. Uh, when you steal money, you're stealing time, uh -huh. which is what life is made of, and you become a slave. Yes. And uh, and if you believe slavery is wrong, then I would say that fiat money is a tool of enslavement. It's yeah. a it's a way to debase sort of who we are as human beings, almost yeah. because we we don't have as much agency when you can print money out of thin air. You're you're able to steal from everyone else to get you to do a particular thing. Um, I would say that that that's at the heart of it. Now, mm -hmm. how how does it actually debase our morals? Well, for one thing, it gets us to believe a lot of lies, mm -hmm. right? Um, act in a way that's uh, you know like lying, stealing, mm -hmm. you know, all, all, all you know, um, you know, uh, not not keeping contracts, and mm -hmm. uh, you know, even to some degree, if you get into uh, war and things like that, murder and things of that nature, mm -hmm. it, it's it's all 
driven by this monetary regime uh, mm -hmm. where you have a warfare state, you have unjust wars, you have uh, you know, you know, Machiavellian backstabbing with business and things like mm -hmm. that. And people just like, they don't, they don't, they don't even feel bad about it. Right. It's, it's just business, right. That's another line from uh, our book. Uh, you know, that, that's something that people say to justify all manner of evil. Uh, but that, that's part and parcel of the fiat monetary system because you're forced to desire it so much because it's constantly being debased. If you're not serving fiat money as a god then you're you're going to be broke like, yeah. in, a, in a sense and so yeah it's uh it's kind of like that bark of the beast from revelation you you almost you almost have to embrace fiat money mm -hmm. to uh to live in society almost um and that that's that's what i was getting to with that chapter yeah it's i think probably the most important dimension of money and bitcoin right because it's the morality is like the base layer, right? If we don't actually have respect for one another's life, liberty, property, then things just devolve into animality, basically. And what, an excerpt you have here, I'll read real quick. You wrote that money exists to facilitate trusted interactions between people. A high trust society is a moral one where debts are repaid, contracts are upheld, and fraud is punished. The debasement of money makes these interactions more fraught with danger and less trustworthy. Thus, the debasement of money also leads to a debasement of trust and ultimately a debasement of moral standards. And it just occurred to me there, right? Good society. Debts are repaid, contracts are upheld, and fraud is punished. If you really understand the nature of central banking and fiat money, printing money is... It's, it's debt creation, right? Mm -hmm. It's born out of nothing. It was mm -hmm. lent at interest to the U.S. government from the central bank. Mm -hmm. It's a contract violation and that savers are mm -hmm. depending on that money to hold its value across time. So you're stealing from savers, you're violating that contract and it's fraud. It's mm -hmm. fraudulent. So it's the, what you're saying, the things that compose or constitute a good society, printing money literally destroys all three of them. Yeah. <laughs> and so- in that idea of people doing whatever is profitable, you're actually incentivizing immorality through the printing of money. And that is, that's mind blowing. I think if you really start to dig into that. It's it's not just the central bank either. Like yeah. all, all of those things apply every level below. Yes. And if you're thinking, I guess, in a Girardian sense, every, everyone is imitating right. the central bank. Yes. So you have banks that are you know defrauding through you know uh, like commercial banks and so on and retail banks that are defrauding through debt uh, mm -hmm. you know issuing debt uh, you know not fulfilling contracts and uh, you know defrauding their their customers mm -hmm. but also you know like companies too right? yeah. they're, they're, they're doing all of this stuff um, and inflation in particular like destroys contracts to a large degree because Okay, you you have you're supposed to deliver eighty widgets for X dollars, right? Mm -hmm. um, it, you know, for in per, uh, for the next ten years at this price or whatever, and inflation hits suddenly. Okay, well, I can't deliver it for X dollars because right. it cost me X plus twenty dollars to right. make this thing. Okay, I'm gonna slow walk that contract. I'm going to maybe fulfill the letter of the law, but not really the spirit of it. Or if it gets too expensive, I'm just going to break the contract. You sue me, right? Yeah. Like this is yeah. where you get to this very trust, uh, you know, where, where you, you're not able to trust people because the incentives are so terrible. Yeah. And that 
uh, ends up with the base moral standards. Yeah. It's a great point. It reminds me too of Gary North's example of the winemaker and honest money, where he's saying that very thing mm -hmm. when producers are hit with inflation, they sort of have two options. It's like, well, they can increase the price of their products or they can debase the product and keep it the same price, right? They can mm -hmm. use cheaper ingredients. They can water down the wine was, was the ex example he gave. And I mean, there it is right there. It's like, okay, do you want to actually incentivize people to weigh moral integrity against financial well-being? Because mm -hmm. people, obviously some people, there's some good people that will choose to do the right thing and raise their prices. Mm -hmm. But there's a major incentive to hide that, right? Just water down the wine or, or deliver cheaper, mm -hmm. inferior widgets in your example. Mm -hmm. And I don't, that just... Even if you're honest in that situation, you're going to lose probably, <laughs> yeah. right? Because you're increasing prices, so you're pushing customers into dishonest producers' hands. Mm -hmm. And so it's like this process of corrupting money just corrupts every industry, every line of production. Yeah, and that's something I point out in the book is, uh, you know, corporations become more sociopathic over time because yeah. the ones that survive are the ones that are able to play those uh, debasing games, but not just that. They, they're the ones that are able to go to government and get bailouts mm. for various things. So they, the CEOs of large companies tend to be very astute political players. And I liken them to more political officers mm -hmm. than they are actual business people right. because they have to lobby Congress and get mm -hmm. the right regulators on their side and so on. So it's, it's much more of a political decision. But that, that uh, ends up with just enormous corporations all over the place. Mm -hmm. You have four or five corporations that control pretty much every industry, right? Mm -hmm. you, you go to like food, it's like five big ag, mm -hmm. at, uh, right? right? Like you go to health insurance, it's like five or six health insurance companies right. that are dominating. You go to accounting, it's, you know, the big four or yeah. whatever. It, yeah. It's every industry you can think of, it's dominated by giant players because they have the ability to lobby Congress, use all of this stuff. They're, they're, they're sociopathic about sort of surviving in a fiat environment and they play all of these fiat games and all of these fiat games as we we just talked about tend to be immoral so they're they don't care about morals at a certain right point. and if they don't then i they do to the degree that customers do but if yeah. they can get away with it they will do whatever it takes to survive yeah so man it's really bad there's like a, a delamination between being an honest producer being moral right mm -hmm. and being profitable mm. And when you create that dilemma, most people, I think, fall into the, the immoral camp, right? It's easy to, I don't know, not believe in morals or you don't see the, the ramifications immediately, mm. right? But you see the financial ramifications immediately. Mm. And uh, it's, it's a really, really bad problem. And I think, so we're, we're saying like inflation is almost normalizing scams, scamminess, it's normalizing lifelong indebtedness, mm -hmm. as you, you point to as well, that obviously if dollars are getting weaker every year, you're incentivized to borrow the stronger dollars, pay back the weaker dollars. Mm -hmm. But in that borrowing, you're subjecting yourself to the creditor. Mm. All right, you're at the, the behest of the creditor. And I think the we say printing money out of thin air. That's a term we use a lot. But it's more like... It's a spigot of stolen purchasing power, right? Mm. And so those CEOs you're talking about, these large corporate CEOs, they're just trying to get as close as they can to that spigot. 
So the game becomes less about production and customer satisfaction and more about proximity to the printing press. Mm -hmm. And so you get more of this Machiavellian behavior. Yeah. And then and then does that then spread by imitation? Like in the mm -hmm. Girardian sense, he's like, well, this guy's acting like this. He's getting rich. I guess I'll emulate his behaviors. I mean, I think that's what business school is. <laughs> it's, a, it's learning how to how to be this like uh, political officer in a sense of a more or less socialist economy. Uh, it, and that that sort of Machiavellian backstabbing and mm -hmm. sort of, uh, you know, uh, rising up the corporate ladder without any regard to morality has been completely normalized. Mm -hmm. Where, you know, you, you worship people like uh, Buffett and mm -hmm. uh, Gates and people like that that are rich you know, not not necessarily because they created amazing stuff. Uh, I mean, Buffett's never created anything uh -huh. in his life, and uh, Gates stole most of the tech right. that he ended up uh, selling. So it, it's it becomes like this uh, this weird um, game where the the people that are rewarded the most are the people that play these games the best. So mm -hmm. instead of playing this game of creation and entrepreneurship. They're playing this other game of politics, uh, of um, you know, status and things like that. And you know, politics, status games, they're all zero sum, which yeah. means that there are just as many losers. The the game of entrepreneurship is is positive sum. Mm -hmm. If you if you create something for the market, by definition, you're creating value for a lot of people that that want something and are willing to trade, you know, their hard earned uh, money uh, for for your goods. So in that sense, it, this, this is where we say um, that fiat money is slowly crumbling civilization mm -hmm. because the incentives are towards what I would call rent-seeking yeah. rather than value creation. And you know, the, the rent-seeking is actually kind of taking out the foundation of society, mm -hmm. um, eating the, you know, the built-up trust and morals and all of that mm -hmm. stuff and uh, like for the benefit of the people that are at the top. Yeah. Yeah, it's it's awful, and it so a strong phrase that I've used before. I don't know if it's entirely true, but mm. going through these rabbit holes, I've come to almost see, and this is also based on Hoppe's work, mm. largely more so from his book, A Theory of Socialism and Capitalism. Mm. But he's making the point that the more easily property can be violated through money printing or theft or anything else more people will fill those roles and you'll see like the moral composition of society decline mm -hmm. so i don't know if it's a deterministic relationship necessarily but the the stronger property is the more moral society tends to be the weaker it becomes the more corrupt people tend to become so are we saying something like human beings in general tend to be, their characters tend to be like emergent properties of the incentive structures they inhabit. And so when we break the incentives, we're like, we're breaking ourselves and then as a collective consequence civilization. And is this a restatement of the time preference <laughs> thesis, right? We're just raising everyone's time preference and declining civilization. Yeah, um, there there is something about incentives that definitely... Uh, produces a better or worse morality. Certainly, mm -hmm. if you have the right incentives, then people are more incentivized to act morally. Mm -hmm. I, I do think that there's a core of virtue there, though. In any society, 
you know, there there will be temptation to cheat, steal, or mm-hmm. do all kinds of evil things, and and we're seeing that in spades all, all over the place um, throughout history. Uh, you know, no matter what the incentives might be, I I will say though that um, a sound money produces more righteous behavior mm-hmm. through the incentives and like we need all the help that we can get mm-hmm. with respect to virtue it's yeah. hard to be a virtuous person in any case yeah. we're always sort of tempted to do the wrong thing for not just like the monetary reasons there there are lots of other reasons uh, you know envy and uh you know corruption of all kinds um but uh you know, money certainly isn't helping uh, if it's uh, continuously stealing or making it very easy to steal Mm -hmm. um, and giving you sort of rationalizations or justifications for it, which in this uh, central bank-backed monetary system, there certainly is a lot of. So we end up with uh, incentives that are corrupting to our morals Mm -hmm. and that, in a sense, causes our virtue are, are uh, to to decline and we you know you kind of get into sort of like a vicious cycle rather than a virtual cycle a yeah. virtuous cycle and that that's kind of where we are as a society i think a lot of people are spiraling you you see a lot of depression you see a lot of corruption you see a lot of uh people just get into very dark places mm-hmm. uh because of uh sort of like the spirals that they end up in mm. And do you draw, do you equate then time preference and morality? I mean, they, clearly there's a connection, but is are we saying when we lower our time preference, we're raising our morality? Is, are those equivalent? Well, I, I would say time preference, I guess, from a Christian sense is what I would call prudence. Mm. It's uh, it's properly valuing the future or thinking about the future in a, in a, in a good way. Um, a lot of people don't value the future enough, so they have low prudence, mm-hmm. and uh, and this is one of one of the four cardinal virtues from ancient times. I think it was uh, Plato that, mm-hmm. or Aristotle, I can't remember which, uh, that identified the four cardinal virtues: uh, prudence, temperance, justice, fortitude. Mm-hmm. Uh, so it's one of those things. Um, mm-hmm. Now, the the other ones, uh, you know, are certainly exacerbated as well by fiat money. I I, I wrote these articles like many years ago, I think it was uh, 2017, Bitcoin and Virtue, right? Like uh, with one of each of those, um, uh, I I, I tried to find a way to put it in this book. It it didn't really work, Mm. but uh, maybe maybe I'll publish it again. But uh, but there there is something about money that that does sort of corrupt all of those. But I wouldn't say that time preference is the only thing. Mm-hmm. It's definitely one of the major things, and it's it's a cardinal virtue for a reason. Cardinal means uh, very important, mm-hmm. or one of one of the um, one of the primary things uh, with respect to morality. Uh, but yeah, I mean that that's the most obvious one mm-hmm. today. Yeah, yeah, yeah. There's a lot to unpack there, and I. I mean, I think when people really become orange-pilled, it's this point, right? Mm -hmm. It's like realizing that debasing money is actually undermining the moral composition of society, Mm. which upholds, you know, law and everything else. Like, if you don't have that base-level morality, you don't have, you can't, it's building a house on sand. Mm. Um, And so when people really start to see those connections, it's like the orange light bulb going off. Mm. If you are a business owner or manager, you should know these three numbers. 
36,025 and 1. 36,000 is the number of businesses that have upgraded to NetSuite by Oracle. NetSuite is the number one cloud financial system, which allows you to streamline accounting, financial management, human resources, and more. NetSuite turns 25 years old this year. That's 25 years of helping businesses do more with less, close their books in days rather than weeks, and to drive down cost. And finally, one, because your business is one of a kind. So with NetSuite, you get a customized solution for all your key performance indicators in one efficient system with one source of truth. NetSuite is everything you need all in one place. Right now, you can download NetSuite's popular KPI checklist designed to give you consistently excellent performance absolutely free at netsuite.com slash whatismoney. That's netsuite.com slash whatismoney to get your free KPI checklist. Again, netsuite.com slash whatismoney. Now I'd like to tell you about our sponsor, iCoin Technology. iCoin has just released a sleek new hardware wallet. Looks like a mini iPhone, a little touchscreen and camera on it. Uh, the device has no Wi-Fi, no cellular connection, no GPS. It's a strictly physically cold hardware wallet. Uh, like I said, it's got a high-res 3-inch touchscreen. It's got a camera for air-gapping the wallet. Uh, it's got optional Bluetooth compatibility. And it's a really a, a brand-new UI, UX experience for a hardware wallet, making it very accessible, easy to use, not intimidating. And as we always talk about on this show, the only way you can truly own your Bitcoin is by having it in self-custody. So you need a device like iCoin Wallet to truly own your Bitcoin. Go to iCoinTechnology.com today and use promo code BITCOIN23 for 30% off of this new sleek hardware wallet. Okay, you also go into fiat causing the debasement of belief. Mm. Now, I want to ask you first, what be- what is belief? <laughs> um, another thing for me getting into Bitcoin was this huge emphasis on human action, right? Um, obviously, from Mises and many of the other Austrian economists talking about the nature of praxis, mm-hmm. you know, action itself, that we are purposeful animals that use means to pursue ends. Where does belief fit into that equation? Is it, does it, is this the the guide for action or what, what is belief? Yeah, that's a great question. Cause, um, so actually another guy that I, I like to read Jacques Alal, who, who talks about sort of the difference between the two. And in a sense, it's, a it's a little bit of an illusion. Uh, b- belief can be something that people say that they have, but, uh, their ac- actions belie something else. Mm-hmm. The, the whole purpose of propaganda, for example, is to get people to act a certain way, even if you're if you don't believe it, right? Mm. So um, I, I think a good example is uh, the mask mandates during COVID. Mm. A lot of people are like, you know what? These things don't do anything, but <laughs> they went out there and uh, wore them regardless. Yeah. Uh, and in that sense, like propaganda is very effective. Uh, it's, not, it's not necessarily there to change your belief. It's to change your action. And right. from sort of like the Hoppian sense, uh, the actions are what matter. Uh so uh, it, it is a great question to ask about what belief is, mm-hmm. um, but I, I think it's uh, generally your model of the world or mm-hmm. how uh, how you think of reality. Mm-hmm. Um, now, that and what people proclaim to be their beliefs tend to be somewhat in contradiction oftentimes, mm-hmm. and uh, the the real 
beliefs that they hold are uh, are sort of indicated by their actions, yeah. right? Like, right. Uh, and you know, I I'll go back to uh, you know James, uh, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, the biblical book of James, where he talks about you know you you tell me you have uh, faith, I'll or I'll show you my faith by my works, right? Mm-hmm. Like the the action shows what you actually believe, right? Rather than what you proclaim. The, in a, in a sense, we've uh, sort of confused belief a lot of times by what we're able to say, but talk is very cheap. Words are yes. very, very cheap. So in that sense, I think belief is the mental model of the world that you have that causes you to act in a certain way. Mm. Uh, and that is the real thing that matters and not the thing that you're you're proclaiming. Because again, words are very cheap. It's Right. Uh, you know, you can say whatever you want, and politicians are very good at this, where they'll say one thing, do another, mm-hmm. and just sort of shows where where their actual belief uh, lies. So, um, what what I'm talking about in that chapter with fiat debasing belief is so, sort of that mental model of the world where you think it works a particular way mm-hmm. because the authorities tell you that, and that causes certain action, which ultimately ends up not benefiting society nearly as much as it would if you had a different model of the world where it was more accurate, where you're adding value to the world, where you're building civilization, where you're being an entrepreneur versus being a rent seeker and Mm. doing what it takes to survive in this sort of like cruel world, quote unquote, that that is uh, sort of the mental model that most people have. Mm. Yeah. As you were saying that, I was thinking like some belief is kind of like a worldview or a model of the world as you're saying. So you might have someone that is, for instance, uh, a socialist, right? Mm-hmm. They might believe in socialism, mm-hmm. but they might also say I'm against poverty, right? Mm-hmm. And so, but they, and they may actually think that socialism is the answer to poverty, something like that, where, you know, again, you could read Hoppe's book to, or Mises mm-hmm. to thoroughly debunk that. Mm-hmm. So their belief or their worldview is dissonant or contradictory in a way. And so it almost it actually doesn't matter what they proclaim, right? I'm a socialist that's against poverty. It's like, what are they actually doing in the world that defines them? And, um, and so I, I think the Austrians too, they say all action is an expression of value. Mm. So belief and value then, I don't the Yeah, I get, the belief could be, there can be a lie in the belief effectively, but there can't be a lie in the action, right? It's, this is the old action speak louder than words adage. The model of the world though is important because you need to have a map of the territory that you're in. Mm -hmm. So you're saying that debasing money somehow debases the feedback we're getting from the world to correct our model. Is that, yeah, I, I would say that's that's a very good way to put it and very, very interesting way to put it because in a sense, when you have a bad map, you think you're contributing by, say, being an investment banker mm-hmm. or something like that because the market signal is that you're getting tons of money for you know executing 100x leverage trades of some kind. Mm-hmm. Uh, whereas the actual benefit to society for that is almost negligible it's mm-hmm. in, in fact it's probably subtractive mm-hmm. it's it's uh 
you're playing in some zero-sum game where right. somebody is winning, somebody is losing. Uh, that is, it, it causes your model of the world to be very different and your actions to go towards more rent-seeking rather than value creation. The actual model of the world that's, uh, you know, building civilization and so on, what what happens on their sound money is that the people that are producing things that are useful, that benefit society, that are providing value to people, they're the ones that are making money. So the the signal feedback mechanism mm. of a market causes your beliefs to be more in line with uh, civilization building reality. Mm. Right, right now in a central bank back fiat monetary system, mm. the feedback mechanism is all broken. So right. you're you're playing these weird um, victimhood games, right? Like, mm -hmm. oh, I'm a minority. I need mm -hmm. to like go go and do this thing and take these th uh, these uh, political positions to move up the ladder because you're getting feedback on those things that uh, are positively reinforcing, mm -hmm. and therefore you end up in um, you know end up in better positions because of these things that aren't providing value really, right. but they they are sort of satisfying the money printer. So the feedback mechanism gets completely distorted by the presence of a money printer and because of the presence of all of these people that are close to the money printer and they, they want to, um, I don't know, push out their agenda and they can because in a sense they're suspending reality from right. their own reality and they, they create this magical, you know, weird thing and that's what socialism really was. Yes. Yeah. Okay, this different <laughs> weird reality that we're going to pretend is real and we're going to suspend reality for as long as we can. Uh, when you suspend reality, you know, uh, right. reality generally strikes back with a vengeance. Yes, yes, yes. Yeah, it's like not only, I guess, people are desperate, then therefore more susceptible to these victimhood narratives, right? Like, you know, they're feeling the actual economic pain of the central banking system. They don't know where to attribute blame, so they'll say, oh, it's because I am whatever class that's being marginalized. But then that's even worse when you have central bank that's stealing the purchasing power and then funding these narratives, right? They're actually, they're, they're, they're fueling that victimhood narrative in people so they can, I, I, I guess, distract people from the truth. It's like, the the real problem is the broken money, but let's blame anything else other than that, and we'll fund every mainstream media news outlet to back those narratives, so that we don't develop a narrative around oh, fix the money, fix the world, right? <laughs> yeah, it's it, it's funny because uh, you know, Safetyne had this great like thread on what they're blaming inflation. Right? Yeah. Like one of them was like Beyonce yeah. is causing inflation. Yeah. And so, they they will say anything other than the fact that they expanded them to money supply by thirty or forty percent, right? Yeah. Over a period of uh, a few years, they will blame anything but the real thing. And th this is what uh, fiat money lets you do: is it lets you suspend reality for a while. Uh, and what what you were saying about how people don't really. Uh, aren't are sort of like blame, blaming other things, anything other than the real thing. Th th this is the purpose mm -hmm. in in many ways of fiat money is being able to blame something else. It's mm -hmm. uh, okay, like it's not scapegoating. Yeah, it, it, like the market doesn't like my product. Uh, uh, like would be the right 
conclusion to draw from uh, from trying something and then it failing. Mm-hmm. Instead, it's it's because of this narrative or that narrative. It's it's not you. It's you. You can always be right in that sense, and it, it appeals to our pride, right? Because it's okay. Yeah, I'm I'm the genius, and uh, and and all, all uh, the rest of society is just uh, completely ignorant or mm-hmm. something like that. Uh, one of my least favorite books in the world, and the, 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 is the, the Catcher in the Rye, and I hate this book so much because it's basically telling people you are a special snowflake. It's the world that misunderstands you, and you know you're you're this very talented person, and you know the world is wrong and not you. And, and to some degree, I get it. Yeah, no. the, the world is wrong because there 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 is fiat money and all of this rent seeking and all that stuff. But there is like a market reality feedback too. Yes. And you need to be able to listen to that. And what Fiat lets you do is it it just lets you ignore it for a while. So right. you saw this with BlackRock, uh, where they were pushing an ESG narrative. And I, I don't think it was just BlackRock, it was uh Vanguard and all of these yeah. other ones, where they were forcing corporations to do DEI and ESG, right? The diversity, equity, inclusion, energy, I forget what S stands for, uh and S- Social governance, something. Yeah, like that. yeah, yeah, um, yeah. But wh- whatever it is, they were they were pushing a particular narrative because because they were in a position of printing lots of money through leverage and so mm-hmm. on. Uh, they could pressure these uh, these corporations because they they're more important than everybody else. Mm-hmm. And because of that, you know, you you had Bud Light doing what it did right, mm-hmm. with uh, mm-hmm. with Dylan Mulvaney. Mm-hmm. You had Target doing what it did with like transgender swimwear or whatever. It, like something that the market clearly had no tolerance for. Mm-hmm. And it would have worked under sort of like an easy money regime where where there was a lot of suspension of reality and so mm-hmm. on. But the money stopped printing for a while, right? Because mm-hmm. the interest rates rose and, you know, we're getting a little bit of M2 money, money contraction at this point. So like the black rocks aren't as powerful. Mm-hmm. Now the consumer, now, now market reality is settling in and mm-hmm. they're slapping back like crazy mm-hmm. where okay yeah target's getting punished but light is getting punished i'm, I'm sure there are going to be many more companies that are getting getting punished by reality uh before you know like uh, uh you know all all of this thing these things would have been punished by the market just naturally mm-hmm. it's it's not a product that market the market wants you're satisfying the money printer in a sense mm-hmm. and that's um, it's it's the reality of the money printer and not actual reality right, <laughs> it's a, right, it's, right, it's a right. suspension and you know, uh, you know, it, it, like relativism sounds really good, right? Because okay, like everyone believes whatever they want to believe, but it actually ends up very Nietzschean, where the the people in power, the people with the money printer, they get to determine the reality and mm. impose it on you. Right? It's actually way more enslaving to be under their reality than the actual reality. Yeah. And you might think it's good, it's it's actually really not. Yeah. No, it's it's well said, and. Uh, the analogy of fiat currency as like, obviously we've talked a lot about it being addictive in nature, right? Mm-hmm. Humans are addicted to money printing. We can't stop doing this. Mm-hmm. And it seems to be this kind of analgesic quality it gives and that it's, it's, it's disconnecting people from market feedback, which, you know, in nature, the f- feedback mechanism that's most important is pain, right? If something hurts, you got to do something different. But if you can take a, a drug basically to dampen that feedback mechanism, it might feel good for a little while, but it's going to, you're going to continue on an improper course of action as a result. 
and that seems to be the problem is it, it's it's delaying the day of reckoning right it's 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 another way of saying it's interrupting the flow of information right and and that's what fiat is it's destroying information it's destroying price signals it's destroying um our ability to properly allocate capital and so you get all of this bogus reality as a result yeah that what what you just said reminds me of um how uh, under a sound money, you have a lot of bilateral transactions, right? Mm. Uh, if uh, like I like to liken it to the Lightning Network, mm. every everyone's a node, and you deal with the node next to you. And if you're trading or whatever, that that's the relationship you have. Uh, under fiat money, um, it's it's everybody is just connected to the central bank, mm. and you always have to go through uh, you know this this third party before you can interact with somebody else, and that. That that is also not not just true of money, but it's also true of information as well. Mm -hmm. And now, where a lot of a lot of things kind of get corrupted along the way, and you're you're not able to get proper monetary or informational feedback, mm -hmm. market signals, or communication really mm -hmm. of anything uh, yeah. because of this sort of distorting influence of the central bank of money of the sort of like apparatus around all of it, which um, has a particular agenda of keeping themselves alive. Mm -hmm. The purpose of uh, a lot uh, of people in power is to stay in power. And that tends to be the overarching um, purpose that 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 they're imposing on everybody else. It's whatever you do, you you must make first make sure that we're we stay in power. Mm -hmm. and then you can achieve whatever other ends. Mm -hmm. Uh, instead of letting people sort of bilaterally transact or communicate and so on. And that that's kind of what we're seeing with a lot of the systems now mm -hmm. is that they do get very centralized and you have this distorting effect because you have to go through somebody else. Obviously, that's true of money, uh, but it's also becoming true of every other medium as well. Yeah, no, it makes a lot of sense. Um, okay, jumping a little bit further in the book. This is another one of those areas that is perhaps a tenuous connection to draw. Mm. But you make the case that the debasement of fiat money leads to the debasement of marriage, mm. of family, and of relationships. Mm. Now, I know there's a lot, that's three different chapters actually. <laughs> so I know there's a lot of dimensions to this, but how do you, maybe just starting with marriage, mm -hmm. How do we connect the dots from the debasement of fiat to the debasement of marriage? Yeah, so marriage used to be a very important bond in society. It was the most important bond. Mm. Um, it really is no longer for most people. The uh, The relationship to the state, to um, to your company mm. or whatever it is, th those are things that pe people prioritize. They might call it a career. Mm -hmm. They might call it being a good citizen or being a good person or whatever it is. But that's prioritized over marriage and for, for a lot of people. So um, you see a lot of people get divorced. You see a lot of people, you know, doing things that they wouldn't have done, say, 100 years ago mm -hmm. because uh, these other relationships are more important. Um, the, the primacy of these other relationships means that, in a sense, th those are prioritized. And if marriage hurts those other prospects, then that that's what people tend to do. Um, and, you know, in a sense, uh, a lot of people, uh, you know, I, I talk to a lot of single people in Bitcoin and in other places, you, you can kind of see it. They, they're prioritizing 
you know, their career. So of course they're not getting married. <laughs> yeah. Right. So like it, if the company that you work for demands this much of you and you don't have much to give for this other relationship called marriage, then you're not going to get married. So right. in that sense, it's become much less important because your, uh, you know, means of sustenance or whatever, uh, you know, spiritually, emotionally, financially is more or less in the company that you work for mm. and the government that you're, you're sort of serving mm. rather than, you know, your family or your children mm -hmm. or whatever. And that, that, that's the situation we find ourselves in. So the question we have to ask is, well, how did we get here? What, 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 what happened? Well, the, the thing that happened was that um, companies and governments, in a sense, they're, like I said, like the companies are very large mm -hmm. and uh, the governments uh, subsidize them. So they're really just kind of one entity at this point, or at least you can kind of think yeah. about it that way. They've induced a significant dependence, right? So most people are scared to death of losing their job. Why? Mm -hmm. Because it provides everything, mm -hmm. right? Not not just their salary, but their healthcare, their retirement. Mm -hmm. um, you know, in a, in a sense, they they're depending on their this status activity. in society. Yeah, that yeah. too, uh, right? Like, uh, and who they are, their identity, everything yeah. is tied up in in their job, uh, in their citizenship, to mm -hmm. some degree, and. And that that is that is where they find themselves. It wasn't like that, right? Like most people have a last name mm -hmm. for a reason, right? Mm -hmm. That that was your clan, that was your tribe, that was your family. That that was how you defined yourself. Mm -hmm. um, now it's it, it might as well be you know Joe the guy that works at Citibank, right? Like or <laughs> John that works at IBM. Mm -hmm. Like if we made last names now, that's yeah. probably how it would be. Uh, instead of you know. John Shoemaker or whatever, mm -hmm. like, uh, okay, we're a family of shoemakers, but that that's the tribe that I belong to or John Avila or mm -hmm. something like that. Okay. That's, that's the village that I come from. And mm -hmm. that's, that's, that's the community that I belong to. So, uh, you know, I get to this, uh, in the, in the second section of the book or uh, the third section of the book, which is all about like the corporate environment and so on and how that's replaced communities. Mm -hmm. But uh, but government and, uh, and corporations have more or less uh, induced a significant dependency where you get everything from them. It used to be that you uh, depended on retirement uh, with by having children, right? Like they're the ones that took care mm -hmm. of you in your old age. You used to depend on extended family in case you were unemployed or if you needed a job, right? Like, oh, hey, Uncle John needs like an extra help at his bakery. Like, go, go work mm -hmm. for him, right? Um, you know, you, you used to depend on them for, you know, relationships and community and like moral standards and all kind, all, all kinds of stuff. And in a sense that that's, uh, like what we're built for, what we're designed for, mm -hmm. because we lived in societies of uh, 150 or so, right? Our Dunbar's number in our head is mm -hmm. about 150. You can't keep track of more relationships than that. It's very difficult. Mm -hmm. There are some extraordinary people that can't, mm -hmm. um, but for most people, you can't get past that. So like... Whereas, you know, corporations and governments, uh, you know, they're complete baseless entities where they provide for things at their leisure and they, they you don't, they don't have that much obligation to you mm -hmm. other than maybe your vote at some point mm -hmm. or mm -hmm. your consent on something or, or something like that. Whereas your family loves you, right? Uh, right. So it, it's this giant disconnection that we, we've had from our families because of this dependence. So people will prioritize things like having a job at a corporation mm -hmm. or having their sort of place in society in their social hierarchy, political mm -hmm. approval of mm -hmm. their peers and things like that, 
rather than you know their spouse <laughs> having a spouse or having children or right. having an extended family or being close to your fam the family that you have and so on because they'd rather drop all of that they mm -hmm. they they'd rather uh, because they're, they're not dependent on them for any of those things that they used to be in the past. Mm -hmm. you, your family used to be your lifeline. The, the way people look at their careers now, mm -hmm. that's how they used to look at uh, their families. Right? Mm -hmm. Like uh, if, I, if I got cut off from my family, it would be devastating. Mm -hmm. Well, the, that's the way they talk about their job. It's like, yeah. if I lost my job now, oh, I would be devastated. I would, I would lose everything I have, everything that I built for my identity and everything. So in that sense, the, the fiat money, ha because they can sort of like give you all of these things, mm -hmm. and really it's not giving it to you, it's stealing from other people and, sure. uh, and, and providing all of these safety nets. It, it's induced a dependency that has lessened the need for all of this other stuff. Mm -hmm. and, and let's face it, like family is hard, right? Like there, mm -hmm. there, there's a reason why a lot of people do get divorced and are estranged from their families and stuff like that. You know, personal relationships are hard. There, mm -hmm. There's a lot of difficult conversations and stuff. And that's the one thing that like corporations and governments don't really expect from you is like mm -hmm. difficult conversations. It's mm -hmm. just, you know what? You do what we say, we'll just give you what you want. Yeah. And it's, it's a very kind of loose relationship. And for uh, it, it, and it doesn't expect that much from you. Whereas a family is going to expect a lot from you, but it's also way more close and satisfying you you know you you need to put in the work so it, it's given people this option of a very loose coupling with society mm. through your job and through your you know uh, being a citizen of a government yeah. having the status hierarchy that's based on virtue signaling rather than your character mm. um that that is much more attractive to people because you have to do a lot less work right. so that's where a lot of people have gone rather than towards family and that's uh, the unfortunate reality, and it's uh, debasing civilization, unfortunately. Yeah, the the term, I think this came from the sovereign individual, the nanny nation state, mm. right? Where we start to get accustomed to this large institution just providing for all of our needs. Mm. It is infantilizing in a way, right? You're just, you're, you're not incentivized to be a responsible adult, mm -hmm. to lead your own clan, right? You're just in, induced to be a follower. And is it, is this like a, I guess we're speaking again to the centralizing force of fiat, right? That it's funding these large, again, central centralized nation states, centralized corporations, et cetera, that's sort of mitigating the decentralization of the family unit, right? The, the nuclear family or the, you know, even the nuclear family, I guess we used to live uh, in, in Asian countries and in places in the Middle East, they still live like with multiple generations under one roof, right? Well, they don't anymore, but they used to. Or they used to, okay. <laughs> so it's we've moved away from that towards this more fragmented family model. Mm. And then in severe cases, we've moved away from the family model entirely, right? Mm. People are just, they're, they're treating their company <laughs> like their family, like as you said. Um is this so is this another just consequence of centralization that is uh energized by fiat yeah um because like government and central banks like they're in the middle of every transaction mm -hmm. right there there's almost like a stockholm syndrome mm -hmm. where you're you you end up depending on them so much that you grow to love the very thing that enslaves you um mm -hmm. 
And that that's I think the situation a lot of people find themselves in. You know, they they might quote unquote hate their job, but they don't know what else to do. Right. And then they convince themselves that they love their job and then they become cat ladies. I don't know. Like <laughs> it, there, there there's something that happens in between there. But there yeah, there is feminism would be a consequence of this too, right? Yeah, yeah. yeah there yeah. there there's this uh you know like and that that's that's a whole lie by the way. It's yeah. like a female empowerment. Really, we're just all getting poor, right? Sure. And th- this this another aspect of it is this uh, growth of the bureaucratic mm-hmm. state is uh you know because of all the free go- goodies and this nanny state that you're talking about, everything has become much less affordable for mm-hmm. the family unit. Um. Mm-hmm. You know, I, I do point out in the book that it isn't a coincidence that uh, that that we've had this debasement of family. It was an explicit, you know, um, goal of the Frankfurt School for a long time. Mm-hmm. And the Frankfurt School came out of um, essentially uh, Karl Marx, uh, you know, with, with his socialism and uh, Sigmund Freud with, uh, you know, his psychoanalysis and his uh, focus on sort of... Um, how family bonds are sort of like corrupting and things like that. Mm-hmm. So, uh, you know, the Frankfurt School was sort of an extension of Marxism in that mm-hmm. way, what what we would call today like uh, cultural Marxism. And I, I go into depth in in the book about how it was really kind of a shock on marriage, and they they had to solve this problem of Marxism where in that era. It came out around the '30s because. Mm-hmm. In the 20s, you had hyperinflation of all kinds in, uh, you know, Austria, Hungary, Germany, uh, Germany, and so on. You also had the Great Depression in the 30s in uh, in America and and so on. And you you had this collapse of capitalism that Karl Marx had predicted. Mm. Uh, and the Frankfurt School was like, okay, so where's this revolution, right? <laughs> like mm. it's supposed to be a violent revolution. We get socialism because we go from feudalism, capitalism, socialism, communism. Where's the socialism? It should be it should be here right by now. And everyone was wondering, okay, the collapse of capitalism means this. Why isn't it happening? Mm-hmm. And they came up with a solution. Okay, Karl Marx also said that family mar- bonds were uh, sort of like would um, would prevent uh, sort of like the uh, the worker social consciousness, right? Like mm-hmm. the the class consciousness that mm-hmm. you need to. Right. Uh, to in, do this, and they were like, and Freud actually uh, expanded on that and showed us how family bonds were antithetical to the bringing about of the next phase of uh, socialism uh, mm. of, of socialism, and uh, and so they started working very hard to debase the family, and th- this was something that they they uh, you know talked about very explicitly, and you know they they called their theory critical theory. And that's the ancestor of a lot of the theories that you see on the left today, critical race theory, mm-hmm. queer theory, you know, all, all of that is rooted in critical theory of the Frankfurt School. And they take almost all of the same tenets, which mm-hmm. is, you know, like family is the enemy, right? Like family bonds are the enemy. You need you need to debase all of these bonds so that people are loyal to the state mm. uh, and, and then socialist paradise can come. And, and this... This has pervaded uh, and and sort of grown along with fiat money mm-hmm. because fiat money is the fifth plank of the Communist Manifesto. Mm-hmm. It's a it's a major plank of communism, and this is one of the mechanisms that Karl Marx saw as a way to bring about all of this. And they've used it because media, academia, um, mm-hmm. you know, a lot a lot of government has been in, uh, infiltrated with this, 
and this is sort of like the the base belief that they have uh, that that they're working from the the mental model that mm -hmm. they're working from you need to debase the family in order for this this next next phase to come so it's not an accident so we're we're sort of beset on all sides by this thing wow. where you know family is uh, is being debased by everybody being told that it's not important that it's mm -hmm. and no wonder we have low birth rates everywhere, right? right. That not only were we being told this, but it's getting less affordable because they're imposing costs all over the place mm -hmm. where, uh, you know, through the store value premium that real estate has, a large family can't afford a large house. Right. Uh, you know, the woman has to work. We call it female empowerment, feminism, whatever. Really, it's just like, uh, you know, you're being gaslit to believe that you're you're being freed when you're being enslaved. Right. <laughs> it's, it's, it's it's like so strange that like when I was growing up, my mom stayed home, my dad went to work. Yeah. That was normal. Yeah. And you know that I, me and my sister, they they um, they raised us up and and so on. Now almost every family I meet, like both parents are working. Yeah. Right. How many kids can you have if you if both right. parents are working? Right. Your 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 ceiling is maybe three, possibly four if you're very ambitious mm -hmm. and you you know both make a lot of money maybe. Uh, but if both parents are working, it's it's near impossible. No wonder birth rates are plummeting. Mm. It's uh, it's getting, and you know, like uh, for a lot of people that aren't getting married at all, they're married essentially to their careers and so on. They 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 lost this extended family thing. They're they're loyal to their companies and their government instead. And yeah, I mean, we're we're seeing the decline of humanity like almost in a literal way yeah. uh, as we speak. Yeah, that's interesting that it's more than an incentive system failure. Mm -hmm. There's actually this intention behind it, right, from the Frankfurt School. I actually wasn't aware of that. That's really interesting. Um, terrible, but interesting. <laughs> One of my highest health priorities is keeping my brain in top shape. To take care of my brain power, I do many things, such as striving to read, write, exercise, and meditate daily. One of the latest tools in my brain power toolkit is MindLab Pro. MindLab Pro is a nootropic supplement that is scientifically proven to enhance your brain power. When I take MindLab Pro, my mind feels like it has a better grip on the world. My thinking is more lucid, and the articulation of my speech is much more clear. MindLab Pro has been tested in rigorous, double-blind, placebo-controlled human trials, and has been proven to enhance brain power for users in every age group. MindLab Pro is an advanced formulation of 11 nootropic ingredients and is backed by research from 1,473 human trials conducted over a period of 32 years. So if you're looking to start enhancing your brain power, MindLab Pro is an excellent solution. Go to mindlabpro.com breedlove to start enhancing your brain power today. Again, that's mindlabpro.com breedlove. Now I'd like to tell you about our sponsor, CrowdHealth. CrowdHealth is a Bitcoin-enabled alternative to legacy health insurance. Now let's face it, legacy health insurance is an absolute scam. Nobody can explain this better than the legendary comedian, Chris Rock. Insurance, you got to have some insurance. You got to, there's an insurance. They shouldn't even call it insurance. They should just call it in case shit. <laughs> And I give a company some money in case shit happens. Now, if shit don't happen, shouldn't I get my money back? <laughs> so with CrowdHealth, instead of just paying premiums that you'll never see again, 
you can hold part of this pool of savings in dollars and in Bitcoin through CrowdHealth. And when you have a health event, you can draw against this pool of communal savings. So go to joincrowdhealth.com slash breedlove to learn more or sign up. Now I'd like to tell you about our sponsor, Wasabi Wallet. With Wasabi Wallet, you can receive, send, and store Bitcoin privately. In Wasabi Wallet, your transaction history and wallet balance are completely hidden. Wasabi Wallet is easy to use. All of its privacy features are built in by default, and it works with any amount of Bitcoin. Wasabi users can make CoinJoin transactions together with BTC Pay server users or Trezor Suite users. For BTC Pay server users, they can make payments directly inside of a CoinJoin. And for Trezor Suite users, you can make CoinJoins directly on a hardware wallet. These features result in the fee savings and security improvements for both sets of users. So go to wasabiwallet.io today to download the state-of-the-art Bitcoin privacy wallet. Uh, okay, you later, a little bit later in the book, you talk about the triumph of postmodern investing as a result of fiat. Um, is this what someone else might call the destruction of value investing? Mm -hmm. uh, you, you see a lot of people on CNBC and whatnot talking about, you know, value investing hasn't worked in the last 50 years, right? Or it's been working less and less. Mm -hmm. Surprise, surprise, you know, post-1971. Um, is, is that what you mean by the triumph of postmodern investing? And then what is, how is that related to the debasement of the money itself? Yeah, yeah. So let, let, let's start with what happened during the gold standard. So, uh, you know, La Belle Epoque, I think, mm -hmm. I think it was like, 1870 something to like 1912 so mm -hmm. uh, that that's the period of time before the federal reserve mm -hmm. and uh after lincoln's greenback so that there's there's sort of like this period of 40 years or so where just everything was amazing mm -hmm. like there, there were so many things invented the steam engine and the automobile and the uh, airplane and um you know the erie canal was completely um funded with private money and mm -hmm. stuff like that all kinds of great capital projects, lots of things happening. If you look at that era, right, all of these great companies, what 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 was happening? Well, if you kept your money in gold, it did great, right? Right? Because uh, there there was um, uh, you know, just deflation of uh, of prices, right? You you had you had some deflation. Prices were constantly going down because you had industrial processes that were coming online. You had steel manufacturers and um, you know railroads and all kinds of things to make things cheaper, make things more efficient. You had oil, uh, that, that was a major thing and that was starting to power uh, uh, a lot of uh, different things. And you had the automobile, all, all, all kinds of technology coming in. Um, so you know, if, you, if you just kept gold, then you know, you, your purchasing power was going up every mm -hmm. year. So, uh, what stocks had to do was make it very enticing for those people to invest in them. Mm. And what you had were companies like Standard Oil, which mm. one particular year, they gave out a dividend of 33%, hmm. which is absolute insanity. Nobody, you, you will not get that anywhere unless it's a Ponzi scheme, <laughs> right? Uh, but that, that was literally what they gave out. And dividends of 10, 12% was, yeah, that, that was normal because People realize, okay, you're investing in a stock, you're you're incurring some risk, mm -hmm. uh, so the reward has to be there because compared to gold, you you better bring it, right? right. 
so 10, 12% a year was absolutely normal on dividends. It wasn't even wow. equity appreciation. It was yeah. dividends. Now, I, I, I did some digging and like the, the dividends that you're able to get, if there is any, uh, on a stock today, if you if you're very lucky, you can get like one point six percent, and this is in a high interest rate environment. Yeah. So like that that's kind of crazy, right? Yeah. Like what what what's yeah. what's what's accounting for the difference? Like account what's accounting for that is the presence of fiat money mm-hmm. because people are using stocks as a store of value, mm. and uh, and when when they had gold and they had this other store of value, well, stocks played this other role of investment and mm. uh you know putting pouring money towards things that are already very profitable mm. and then if they were profitable then you're 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 sort of like accelerating their growth instead uh you know everything that was profitable has been more or less arved out by fiat money mm. and this is one of the mechanisms that I I talk about in the book say you have a nice 20% profit margin on your business right and you're you're a fairly big company what happens to you well if you have a 20% gross profit or nice profit margin, well, there's probably going, going to be some, uh, some you know, hedge fund or some, somebody that's going to buy you out. Why? Well, because they can get a leverage loan. So they, they can go and get a, uh, do a leverage buyout where they will pay you a lot of money for your company. And maybe because of the debt service from the leverage buyout that they have, they reduce the profit from 20% to 10%, but they're fine with 10%. Mm -hmm. So now the business has a lot of debt Mm -hmm. and has 10% profit margin. Mm -hmm. Now, now like you're, you, you can't innovate as much. You can't, you can't risk so many things. Mm. And, uh, and you know, there might be another leverage buyout that takes it down to 5%. All all of the profit margin tends to get arbed out because of the presence of the money printer. Mm. You have this ability to do uh, to create debt, which means that if you have a large profit margin, it'll just get shrunk by somebody mm. that is able to print that money, whether mm. it's a hedge fund or an investment bank or another company or so on. Uh, so all all of that productivity just essentially gets sucked out by the red seekers, wow. right? The 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 people that yeah. that are benefiting from the money printing and so mm. on. So uh, that that's essentially what's happened to a lot of stocks. So what? What what's now happened is uh, instead of dividends determining what you buy, because that that's how it used to be. It's like okay, if I'm going to invest in this, I better make money right away, mm-hmm. right? Like you're 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 very um, careful with the money that you have with fiat money because it's debasing so quickly. What people are doing is well, all right, like let's just go put it into something mm-hmm. because I I don't I don't want to sit here and get the base on my money. Um, and so people put it into a lot of a lot of stuff like stocks. Uh, so a lot of these stocks are going solely on uh, on uh, capital or, or uh, market cap mm-hmm. uh, appreciation. So, for example, Amazon in its thirty years of history, almost thirty years of history now, has never paid a dividend. Thirty years, never paid a dividend, and they are one of the top companies in the world. Mm-hmm. And they're they're fine doing that. I, I I believe this is true of a lot of companies at the top. I think Microsoft may have paid one dividend, one time dividend, one, a long time ago or something like that. But most companies, this this is what it comes down to, because when it becomes a store of value, now it becomes okay, competing stores mm-hmm. of value, right? Like mm-hmm. there's Microsoft and Tesla and Amazon and all of all of these things, 
And it becomes what, uh, what you would call a Keynesian beauty contest because mm. there's nothing objective like a dividend to measure it against. It's, it, they don't pay dividends, so it's all about perception. Now. Mm. And it's not a coincidence that all of the top companies in the world, the, the most popular ones are Apple, right, Tesla, um, Microsoft, I guess, uh, Amazon, right? Like the, mm. These are all household names for a reason. It's because they have so much retail mind, mind share it's so much more about perception mm. than it is about the underlying business because they're all competing to be stores of value. And what, what's important in a store of value? Well, that other people use it as a store of value. Mm. So if, if they're using it, then I, I can use it and I can at least sell it to them. So it's become this, uh, this crazy thing where uh, perception matters more than the reality. And then we get uh, like sort of... It, but you know, even these companies have at least some basis, right? Like they, they are producing cars, they're producing goods for the economy. What, what's especially troubling is that as you get more money printing, you get sort of an even deeper disconnect from reality. So we saw with Wall Street bets, mm -hmm. uh, like something that like a lot of people were watching with GameStop, ANC, and, uh, and Hertz. Now, GameStop, kind of a stagnant company, not not really doing anything, but they were sort of like nostalgic and, you know, something that a lot of people remember from their childhood and so on. You know, you would go, go in there to trade in your video game and like mm -hmm. get credit and mm -hmm. get another video game and so on. So for them, uh, that that was the stock that they wanted to pump and they did. And they couldn't, uh, you know, like... It, there, there had to be all sorts of like traditional market machinations to sort of stop that pump. But that's, it turns out that's the game that they've been playing all along in the, in, mm. in the, in the actual stock market. The Black Rocks of the world are able to enforce their DEI ESG agenda through more or less the same mechanism. They, they, they have the money and they, they have lots of printed money, right? They can do leveraged uh, bets in any direction. They, they can destroy a company if they mm -hmm. want. And uh, so a lot of companies realizing this is kind of like the mafia coming and saying, you know, it'd be a shame if your stock went down, right? Like, or if, uh, if you know, Moody's like, uh, you know, brought, brought down the, the um, you know, your credit rating or something like that. So, uh, you know, a lot of these companies comply because they, they knew who, who their real boss was. Well, it, it's gotten to a point where it's, it's almost pure will to power now. It, it is kind of like a Nietzschean thing where, uh, where Wall Street Bets said, we're going to pump this thing. We don't care about the fundamentals. There is no basis in reality, mm -hmm. and we're going to do it, and you can't stop us. And they did that for, you know, uh, GameStop. They did that for AMC. And then and then they did it to Hertz, which for me was sort of like crazy because this was a bankrupt stock. Mm -hmm. They already declared bankruptcy, and they said, we're going to pump this stock anyway. Wow. And they did. Uh, and... In a sense, that that was uh, that that's sort of very indicative of how detached from reality it became. Mm -hmm. Because a bankrupt stock is literally worth nothing. It's all liability. It's no you know benefit, right? Yeah. Like, but they did it anyway. It it got to this like very weird convergence of things because Hertz actually went to the bankruptcy court judge and said, "Hey, um, we think we can just like issue more shares and then get out of bankruptcy <laughs> because these guys are pumping the stock." So it, it, it gets kind of weird like that, but we, we see it, but it shouldn't be a surprise because we see it all the time in all courts, right? What is Dogecoin? Right. It is pure will to power. It has no purported utility. They're not even pretending to be anything other than something that has people's mind share. Oh, that true. is all it has. Yeah, yeah. 
And uh, and yet they they pump because you know Elon Musk was you know jerking it around and yeah. uh, playing memes with it, and people were like, okay, well he's famous, he's kind of like BlackRock, we have to listen to him or something like yeah. that. And they 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 uh, it went to the moon on on based on that. But this is this is what happens to a lot of this stuff is that you know as reality sets in, the postmodern investing sort of like declines a little bit. But I like that's where we're headed is this. Uh, like game of status and perception mm. where sort of a Nietzschean morality takes over mm. even in the world of investing, which should be extremely rational based right. on fundamentals, cash flows, dividends, right. things like that. Instead, it's it's gone almost entirely towards perception, something so solid and so, uh, you know, fundamental to an economy. It has already been the base, right? Yeah. Like it's, it's so far away from reality. Yeah. Oh, man, that is such a trip i'm reminded of that essay i think it's like hyperinflation and hyper reality i think mm -hmm. we may have read it together yeah, yeah. at one point i'm just making the point that as fiat debasement accelerates people's tendency to gamble and scam accelerates so you're seeing that manifest in capital markets in a way which is really crazy and it it's because we don't have a sound savings device that we end up using these investment vehicles as savings devices and that just throws the whole thing into a tailspin right it doesn't make any sense um yeah really really weird really yeah. weird like I, not just not just weird but like civilization debasing right? yeah because like, now these companies can just sort of like play the stock manipulation game rather right. than the uh than value providing so right. Most of these large companies are at this point turning kind of, stocks into shit coins. Yeah, yeah, they're they're all zombie companies, <laughs> yeah. right? Like they're they're taking a lot of bailouts and regulatory moats and so on, and they it like it just keeps everything completely stagnant. They don't yeah. have to produce anything. When's the last time we had sort of like a new leap in you know airline technology, right? Like there there are only two commercial airliner manufacturers in the world right now. It's Boeing and Airbus. Mm. Nobody else can compete. Why not? Not because there aren't good ideas. I mean, like I, I read the other day about like drone flights, mm -hmm. right? Like they and they can build drones that are big enough to carry a human being. Mm -hmm. Like how amazing would that be? Just like fly from place to place with like an like a you know automatic uh, drone flight or something mm -hmm. like that. Now, obviously, there's like safety and things like mm -hmm. that that we have to worry about. But this is this is the sort of thing that we should be exploring because it would be a quantum leap above what we have now mm -hmm. where we're like sort of stuck on two dimensional roads and things like that you go three dimensions now you have a lot more room yeah. you, can, you can do a lot a lot of a lot of interesting and creative things with it but none of that is happening because though those two have more or less put around a lot of moats mm -hmm. with regulation and government subsidization and so on where they don't have to innovate at all. They don't have to compete in the market. And they're, they're very static as a result mm. of that. And we, we haven't had different technologies come online. Instead, we've just been stuck with more or less what we had in the 60s, right? Or yeah. even pre prior to that. Like I, I read an essay about, uh, I, I think it was actually Peter Thiel's Zero to One, uh, how he talks about how most of the actual zero to one stuff happened during the gold standard yeah, era. Right. And everything else is just sort of like minor improvements right. on, yeah, even the internet is an improvement on the telegraph. Yeah. 
you know, um, you know, cars obviously existed back then and airplanes existed back then. It's like we haven't had something really genuinely new in a long time. Right. Except Bitcoin. <laughs> <laughs> right. Um, okay. Jumping to toward the end of the book. And this is something, this is a phrase you use to conclude all of your podcasts. Fiat Delinda Est. What is the story behind that? What does that mean? That's Latin, I assume. What does that mean and why why do you use that to conclude all your podcasts and why is that such an important phrase? Yeah, so uh, the, the story of that phrase comes from, uh, from ancient Rome and uh, Cato the Elder was a senator in Rome. And at the time uh, you know, that he was a senator, the major rival to Rome was Carthage. Mm -hmm. And Carthage was in North Africa and they, they, were, they were a pretty great civilization as well. And they conquered significant part of uh, North Africa, some part of Spain and so on. And they were the rivals to Rome. And uh, it was Cato's contention that if Rome wanted to be a great empire, they needed to destroy Carthage. So whatever he spoke on in the Roman Senate, he would end every speech with Carthago delenda est. Mm. Carthage must be destroyed. And if you study the uh, study ancient Rome, you find out that uh, they had some epic battles against Carthage. They mm -hmm. had three Punic Wars, which were all against Carthage versus Rome. Mm. Um, uh, Hamilcar and Hannibal were the two generals of Carthage, and you know Hannibal famously uh, took elephants from North Africa, brought them all the way around through Spain. Mm -hmm. Through, uh, and came down through probably this area, like mm -hmm. Lugano, and through the Alps, into, yeah. into through the Alps yeah. into Italy to uh, to these frightened Roman soldiers that were absolutely like astounded by these animals that they hadn't seen before, yeah. war elephants that were yeah. attacking them. And this, this 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 was what we were talking about. This was an epic battle between these yeah. two giant civilizations and. Cato contended we must destroy Carthage or they're going to destroy us, right? Yeah. Like that, that was sort of the implication, Carthago delenda est, yeah. or they're going to destroy us. And, uh, and for a while, Rome didn't heed his warnings. They lost a few battles against Hannibal in particular and so on. But eventually they, they did. They, they destroyed Carthage. Uh, you know, legend has it that they salted the fields around the mm. city of Carthage so nothing would grow and stuff mm. like that. Probably like apocryphal, but yeah. it's, it's, it's a very interesting idea that the city of Carthage, which was essentially Rome of its day for the uh, yeah. the civilization of Carthage, was uh, was more or less destroyed and left in ruins. And we actually don't know very much about the Carthaginians because the Romans destroyed everything yeah. that they had. Now, that phrase uh, was... Cato sort of seeing ahead and seeing that this was an existential dilemma for Rome itself and that either they would win or we would win or like it, it, it would be over. And since then, it's become sort of like a, a rallying cry whenever, you know, people see sort of like an existential threat or something like that. So, mm -hmm. um, yeah, I, I saw, for example, right wing commentator saying SJW Delenda S, right? <laughs> like, it's like, okay, like they must be right. destroyer or else yeah. like civilization yeah. is going to, uh, uh, it, itself is going to die. So, which is when a fiat it, symptom, probably. Yeah. The SJW. Yeah. De definitely. Right. Yeah. Uh, so, 
I say fiat delenda s, and the word fiat is uh, like that phrase in Latin is completely nonsensical because fiat is a verb, and so yeah. verb must <laughs> some verb must be destroyed. Doesn't, doesn't really make sense. <laughs> uh, but the the word fiat in English means uh, you know something created by decree, and that comes from uh, the the idea of fiat money. Right. Yep. And when, when we say fiat money, the word fiat in Latin in that context means let there be. Mm -hmm. So, you know, uh, the, the way the central bank creates money is they say, let there be money. Right? Mm -hmm. Like, let mm -hmm. there be money, fiat money. That's, mm -hmm. that's where it comes from. So it became an adjective. Um, in the Bitcoin world, that, that adjective has turned into sort of like a noun where yep. they're like, yeah. Well, okay. Like fiat must be destroyed, yeah. or like the adjective, anything yeah. that has fiat corruption must be destroyed. But the actual word come in Latin means "let there be." And uh, if you read Genesis one three, uh, you know it says, uh, "And God said, fiat lux, let there be light." Yeah. Right? That, that's 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 what uh, that's what it means, and that's that's what I'm trying to uh, convey to people is that fiat money. The let there be money, the money created by decree mm -hmm. must be destroyed because it is the root of so much of the evil, so much, so much of the weird incentives that we see because it is the third party in every transaction. Um, it, because we have to go through it in some way, shape or form, we need to start bypassing it mm -hmm. in order for civilization to thrive again. Uh, and I, I think as Bitcoiners, we see that mm -hmm. we, we see where it's going and, um, we, we see the destruction of fiat eventually. Mm -hmm. Uh, but that, that is the big thing that we need to do to make it good again. And mm -hmm. that, that I, I wanted to conclude the book with that message because uh, we need to know our enemy and our yeah. enemy, our enemy is, uh, is pretty pervasive. Pretty pervasive, I guess. The silver lining might be that also self-destructive. Mm. You know, fiat does tend to destroy itself over time, but then it obviously gets replaced by other forms of fiat. Mm -hmm. um, and maybe just to conclude, I'll read an excerpt uh, from the book here. This is sort of reiterating some of the things you just said, but I want to ask one specific question about it. Mm. So you wrote in Latin, the word fiat is a verb, not an adjective like in English. Here's Genesis 1-3 in Latin. Distic dos fiat lux et facta es lux. I probably mispronounced a lot of that. This translates to, and God said, let there be light, and there was light. Fiat lux means, let there be light. The phrase fiat money means, let there be money. Fiat money requires no work and is decreed into existence. So in English, fiat becomes an adjective meaning by decree. Fiat is the idea that you can create something by commanding it to exist instead of doing the work to make it exist. The fiat mentality is the illusion that you can decree something into reality just by saying so. So this idea of just speaking something into existence from nothing, right, that God did when he said, let there be light and began all of creation, humans are trying... Have, some humans have convinced themselves they can do, mm -hmm. right? And this is the core delusion <laughs> underpinning all fiat yeah. is this attempt of, oh, this is the question actually, is fiat then in this sense that we've adopted it into a noun now in mm -hmm. English Bitcoin circles, 
is this, is this an attempt by man to play God? Yes. It's, it's, a, it's an attempt to create your own reality. Mm. Um, and it's, it's not really even us that's doing it. It's somebody up at the top. It's the mm. people in charge mm. attempting to impose their reality on you. Mm. And, uh, and we were talking before the show about like sort of the, um, uh, the relativistic mindset that mm-hmm. most people have, and they kind of see it as a good thing. Oh, let there be, you know, let, let that person mm-hmm. be happy or whatever. That's not how relativism sort of plays out in practice. Mm-hmm. Uh, the, the way it plays out in practice is very Nietzschean. It's whoever has more power imposes their reality on you mm-hmm. rather than sort of the real reality. And that that's what fiat money is. It's, a, it's an imposition of the reality of the money printer to everybody else. So whoever has the ability to print lots of money can impose their reality on you hmm. because they have all of this power. In, in that sense, money is very much power. They, hmm. they, they have this ability to make you or uh, incentivize you to act and behave and do things a certain way. It's a, it's a twisting hmm. of market forces and incentives. Hmm. Um, towards uh, whatever reality that they want. Now, Marxists want their reality to be communist and so on. And uh, there are many failed attempts at doing that, which uh, caused the murders of many, many people. Uh, and, and, you know, by, by comparison, the, the people that are doing something with fiat money, maybe it's not as bad, but it's mm-hmm. still pretty evil. It's, yeah. it's evil to distort incentives to such a degree that society has not just become stagnant. It's actively regressing. Mm. We're getting to a point where airline travel times from London to New York have gotten worse since the 1960s, hmm. where, uh, you know, I, I point out like a dishwasher from the 60s, major dishes sparkling clean in 45 minutes. Your dishwasher now probably takes about three and a half hours and probably gets some half clean. Hmm. The, the, this is, this is the, we're, we're actively going back, mm. right? Um, uh, the the Boeing uh, 747 was uh, went from concept to rolling out its first one in like 18 to 24 months. The Boeing 747 Max took 10 years, right? Mm-hmm. Like we're actively going backwards because mm-hmm. we're we don't have the right incentives. The people mm-hmm. that would have built uh, you know the airliners from the 60s are now doing Web three startups and being investment bankers. Mm-hmm. There, like there's horrible incentives where the people that have talent are going into rent-seeking positions instead of positions that create value. So we're actively going backwards. And uh, and it's because of this imposition of reality by the elites that mm. want a certain reality that's not reality. Right. <laughs> it's it's a falsehood. They're, right. they're trying to make a lie come true right. through a lot of uh, money printing. And it's mm. it's not happening. I think we get back to re- we need to get back to reality. I think it will because a much harder form of money is here, and it doesn't require any permission. And you 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 have this bilateral transaction ability uh, instead of having somebody in the middle. Mm-hmm. You don't have a trusted third party anymore, and you don't have to play. If you don't have that trusted third party, you don't have to take trust the, the trusted third party's reality. Mm. You you can just listen to the actual reality, and this mm. is why. Bitcoiners are some of the most like based and red pill people that you'll ever meet because they question everything. They think about things from first principles. And I, I credit you, Robert, for sort of encouraging people to do that, to think through things from 
first principles, okay, what, what is the reality here? Mm. And, what, uh, and what lies have we been told? And how, how can we do things in a very philosophical way to mm. really understand how everything actually is instead of all the lies that they're trying to tell, mm. tell us? Um, and that that's a very critical thing for people to get is, you know, being a being in alignment real, with reality. Mm. Uh, one way to define virtue is to be in alignment re with reality, mm. right? Like mm. lying, for example, is not very virtuous because that's not reality, mm -hmm. right? Um, stealing is also not virtuous because that's not your property, that's mm -hmm. not your reality, and so on. Um, and that that I think it will bring us to a more moral place, a more virtuous place, a better place as a society, as a civilization. And and that's where I hope we go. Wow. That's really, really well said. And I loved how you put it that fiat is trying to make a lie come true, mm. which is why it ruins everything, right? <laughs> <laughs> yes. yeah. Jimmy, uh, again, that's the title of the book, Fiat Ruins Everything. Thank you for doing this. Where can people find you on the internet? Well, they can find me on Twitter at Jimmy Song. Um, my website is programmingbitcoin.com, but you can also go to fiatruinseverything.com to see the book trailer that this guy uh, JD made me. And there's also a link to go and buy a signed copy of the book if you want. And um, and yeah, I'll, I'll probably do more with the website at, at some point, but that's, that's what, what's there right now. Awesome. Thanks so much. Uh, thank you.